You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast. This is episode number 57, June 28th, 2022. Hi, this is Noah Glass, the founder and CEO of Olo, and you are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast. Off-premise strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with the tech chef. Pick a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Welcome back to the Tech Chef Podcast. I'm your host, Skip Kimple, and I'm here to take you on a ride of technology news related to the restaurant, hotel, and hospitality industries. For those of you returning, it is great to have you back. And for those of you joining for the very first time, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. And please go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app or website now. What a great episode we had last week with Ben Tyne from Flytrex, the drone delivery company you have been hearing about for quite a bit over the past few years. If you didn't hear that show, make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Today, I have a guest that doesn't really need any introduction. Noah Glass is the founder and CEO of Olo, a leading open SaaS platform for restaurants that enables digital hospitality at every touchpoint. He is an industry visionary whose mobile ordering work predates the iPhone, beginning with text message ordering on feature phones in 2005. Olo's customer list includes over 600 of the most loved enterprise restaurant brands. This episode is very different than what you have heard from Noah before. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Noah, welcome. And I really want to know how you got started off in the industry and how you went from a startup to a public company and what it took to do that. Well, Skip, thank you so much for having me. Um, I could ramble on for hours on on that opening question alone, so I'm going to try to be succinct, uh, and, and you'll have to keep me honest. But I got started in the industry really as a 17-year-old working, I guess, officially my second real job. My first job was as a cashier at a C-store uh, gas station. My second job, when I got my license and got a car, was to be a pizza delivery driver in my hometown of Newton, Massachusetts. And I got to see the industry from the operator side of things and from specifically the takeout and delivery side of things through that experience that summer. And it definitely left an impression. I never thought that would lead to a career. But looking back, that was definitely some of the origin of what gave rise to to Olo years later. So it was about seven years later when I officially incorporated Olo, this was back in 2005, but I'd started thinking about this actively in 2003, and it really came out of walking around in New York City when I first moved here in 2003 with a Palm Pilot personal digital assistant, which was a pretty strange thing to have at the time, but thinking about it as this magical device that could enable me to order ahead, pay ahead, skip the line at a coffee shop or restaurant and have a better experience as a guest. 
And then connecting that with some of the things that I saw as a 17-year-old working as a pizza delivery driver and thinking about how a technology like that, a service like that could also make it better for the restaurant operator side of things. And it was sort of a win-win on on each side. Um, So the, the idea sort of sat in my head in 2003. In 2004, I got to live in Johannesburg, South Africa. I was launching operations for Endeavor, which is a a nonprofit organization that fosters high growth entrepreneurship around the world. And I got to meet as part of my efforts there, some uh, software developers, mobile software developers, um, Nick Dempster, Craig Stockton, and show them have the the early idea, uh, thumbnail sketch version of Olo of, you know, imagine if from a mobile device, you could order ahead, pay ahead, and then a restaurant could receive that order and prepare it as you were traveling to the restaurant so that you could skip the line and get the food when you were there. Um, and they built up a, a prototype of this with me. And then we showed it to an angel investor. And that angel investor was somebody that I'd come to know through my work at Endeavor. And he said, you know, look, if you believe in this enough that you're willing to quit your job at Endeavor, and withdraw your admission to Harvard Business School, where I was supposed to head that fall, um, I will back you. I'll I'll give you the seed funding to get this started and go from this early prototype into an uh, an MVP version of Olo. But you have to make that decision. You have to quit your job. You have to withdraw from Harvard Business School. You have to make this your only path forward. If you're willing to do that, I believe you're a go-getter, and I believe that you can make this happen. And it was just an absolute knee-jerk reaction for me that, yes, this was the right time in my life as a then, I believe, 23, soon to turn 24-year-old. Um, and more importantly, perhaps, it was the right time in kind of world history when we were right at the beginning, the precipice of smartphone adoption. I just knew that was coming. This was 2005 at this point. Um but it was still several years before iPhone hit in 2007. So it took some leap of faith and it took some leap of faith to also make this my only path forward and to burn the boats and make this that only path forward. But it was something that I just believed in my soul was what I was meant to do. And that was the the very beginning of the Olo journey. We incorporated June 1st of 2005. So I'm speaking to you 17 years and a, a couple of weeks after that fateful moment. Um, and uh, I, I'm very proud of what we have built now, working with over 82,000 individual restaurants across 600 enterprise restaurant brands to enable their guests to order ahead, pay ahead, get their food faster across every service model. Wow, that is a fascinating story. By the way, was your Palm Pilot, was it one of the wireless units that they, they had that had the little antenna that flipped up? It, I think, had a fixed antenna. I, I'm, you know, remembering back to when I had the Palm Treo, which felt like this really new and cool thing. And before <laughs> that, I had the Palm Pilot, which didn't have that fixed antenna. But I don't think it was retractable either. Um, it, you know, it was amazing. It was this thing that I was, I was using mainly of on the road to take notes and, and sort of write up outlines of papers while still in college. And then I started to use it for um, 
discovering New York City. I, there was a, a, an app that I used. At that time, they weren't called apps. It was a, a software application, uh, but it was called Vindigo. And Vindigo was this really fascinating city guide where you could basically see restaurant reviews, directions to restaurants, price points for restaurants. At the time, it was an integration with Zagat, which was the source of that content. But that really captured my imagination of imagine being able to see on a map all the things that are around you, understanding more about those things based on this POI point of interest information that's appended to to those places. And then I thought, what if you could go further? What if you could use this device and the characteristics of it that it's a personal device, that it knows who you are, that it can therefore be linked to your payment credentials and order history, et cetera, what if you could use that as a commerce device and not just a communications or a content device? And that really was the, the kernel of the idea that ultimately became Olo. I love it. You know, I was doing a little bit of research on you and little known fact about you. Well, maybe some people out there know this, but I did not know this. But I saw that you were credited for creating some of the core elements as well as coming up with a name for Twitter. Is that true? That is, sadly, Skip, not true. Not true. Um, Fake however, news. <laughs> it, is, it is a great internet myth that that is true. Wow. Um, and in fact, if you go to Google, I, I would imagine that this podcast is not going to change this fact. And if you type in who founded Twitter, you will see the name Noah Glass and you will see my headshot. Now, there is another Noah Glass <laughs> out there who is also a, a very successful entrepreneur, Noah E. Glass. Um, and that is the actual co-founder of Twitter and, and person credited with naming Twitter. Uh, he and I have had a back and forth over email kind of joking about this, but he is largely not in the public eye. And because I am somewhat, I, my face has been appended to his success with Twitter. Um, and this is a, a common misconception, but not actually true during the founding of Twitter is during Olo's earliest days, actually. That is funny. I'm glad I asked that question because I would have forever gone around thinking that you created Twitter. Um, actually, going a little bit deeper, now this may or may not be true as well, did you, you worked at Industrial Light and Magic in the early days? That is also a Noah E. Glass fact and not a Noah H. Glass fact, I am sad to say. So you also never worked for Macromedia either with Mark Cantor? I never worked for Macromedia with Mark Cantor. Wow, nope. there is a lot of information about you that is inaccurate out there. So I'm glad we're using this show to set the record straight. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> well, the reason why I was interested in the um, the Macromedia piece is I used to be heavily involved in a piece of software called Macromedia Director. And that's when I started my first podcast was back in 2005, 2006. It was, I was a pioneer back then. And um, I was basically after... Adobe bought Macromedia, I became the voice of director, which is kind of kind of fun. All right. So moving on, uh, that's, that's a great discussion. That's great insight. But let's get on to online food ordering. You are a pioneer and a key player in this market space. What unique challenges in this sector of the industry uh, that you're seeing being faced today? I think the biggest thing that we are seeing, and it's a uh, it's a today thing, but it's really a last several years thing is sort of the where is the guest starting their order question? Are they starting on a restaurant delivery marketplace 
first and then finding the brand or are they starting on the brand's direct to consumer channel? I think this is a critically important distinction. And I find that even within the industry, even with financial analysts that cover the industry, there is sort of a conflation of these two things. Ah, it's, it's all digital ordering. It's, it's very important to distinguish between the two. If a guest is ordering through a restaurant delivery marketplace, you have this age-old question of, is it an incremental order or is it cannibalizing the core business? And you have a hefty commission, typically 20 to 30%, sometimes absorbed by a higher price being charged for that order and that food. But fundamentally, you have a situation where the restaurant does not have a direct connection to that guest. That guest is really a guest of the restaurant delivery marketplace, and that's the channel through which the order is flowing, versus a brand building up its direct-to-consumer channel and that guest ordering direct from the brand, where there isn't the same economic impact, there's no 20 to 30% commission on that order, and more fundamentally, that guest is now forging a digital connection to the brand. And the brand is able to add that guest to their database or add on to what they know about that guest in their database and really build out their guest data platform through that activity. So I think that is a critically important distinction. And when I hear about oh, this brand is 30% digital, this brand is 25% digital, the question that I always want to know is, what percentage direct digital are they? And what percentage indirect digital are they? Because the health of a brand can swing wildly on the makeup of their digital mix. A brand that has a large portion of its digital mix direct digital and is thoughtfully growing that audience is in great shape. A brand that is completely at the mercy of restaurant delivery marketplaces and hasn't done that work to build up their direct audience, they're not in great shape. And it can get glossed over by just a, a, a larger category of quote-unquote digital. And I think that's a, a big miss and something that we really need to speak more, more uh, specifically about as we think about brands on their own digital transformation. Direct digital is really the metric that matters. Well, I've heard you talk quite a bit in the past about uh, digital entirety. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, uh, digital entirety to me is um, a, a sort of a point on the horizon where 100% of a brand's order volume is going through a digital channel. So we used to at Olo talk about in the early days, imagine that one day some brand will have digital primacy. It will do 51% of its orders through digital channels. And then we saw pizza brands starting to eclipse that. And then we saw brands of ours like Sweetgreen and Wingstop starting to eclipse that, now each over 60% uh, of their sales through digital. But we imagine a brand in the future being 100% digital, and that represents digital entirety. That became the new goalpost for us. And in fact, today, not within a brand, but within specific restaurant locations, and also within virtual brands, a space that I know you know very well, Skip, we do have brands and locations that are 100% digital, that have achieved digital entirety. And why that's so powerful is now every single order, whether it's delivery or takeout or on-premise or drive-through, 
every single one of those orders is now adding to the guest data platform and enabling the brand to better understand guest lifetime value. And that is, I think, a, a critical metric, a true north metric for the industry uh, as it evolves and, and goes through this digital transformation. I was talking to a brand the other day, and they actually, they didn't use that terminolo- terminology, digital entirety, but it's a brand that you wouldn't think would be headed down that path, but it's their long-term goal is to really be 100% digital. And I was I was a little taken back by that considering the brand. I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty impressive to have those kind of goals. I can't wait to see where, when we get there and, and what it's going to take to get there. Are you seeing guests demand uh, more payment types in the online ordering platforms, Google Pay, Apple Pay, et cetera? Yeah, certainly we are seeing guests and operators on behalf of guests demanding additional ways to pay and more broadly additional ways to transact. So not just pay, but also order. And I I think that is all under the heading of service model flexibility and letting guests order and pay the way they want to order and pay. And I think maybe the, the foremost example of this at the moment is not so much in different mobile wallets, but more in ordering from the table. And we're certainly seeing, and this goes back to the win-win, good for the guests, good for the operator. We're seeing an interest, a, a really strong and revitalized interest in QR code ordering, QR code payment. And I think the ability not to force it on the guest and say, you have to order in this way, that can be kind of a inhospitable thing to impose upon your guest, but so can saying you have to order through a server. You can't order in this way. I think the the flexibility of saying to the guest, look, if you want to place an order with a server, great. If you want to add on to that order from this QR code, you can do that too. If you want to pay on your own and then walk out and not wait to flag the server down, we've made it possible for you to do that too. That kind of service model flexibility is absolutely in demand from guests. And it's also in demand from operators. Operators want to meet the needs of that guest. And operators are also trying to do more with less. There is certainly this kind of lean movement in restaurants, and you can see this in a number of different ways. But as a result of the labor dynamics at play right now, Restaurants have to be thoughtful about how they can do more with less. And if they can find those opportunities like QR code ordering and QR code payment for table service that both meet the needs of the guest and enable them to do more with their existing pool of labor. And I would say focus that labor on delivering hospitality where it's more around the conversations they're having with guests. It's more about handing them their food. It's less about the rote tasks of taking an order and punching it into a point of sale accurately or taking payment uh, or bringing a, a card presenter to the table, if you can focus on hospitality and deliver that A-plus high hospitality experience to the guest with the existing labor pool, that is first prize. And so I, I think service model flexibility is everything right now. That's also true of you know, enabling drive-through, enabling curbside pickup, um, and meeting the needs of the guests where and meeting the guests where they are is so important 
for for operators to not count themselves out of these pockets of demand that you have with guests that want to be served in one way or another. So meeting the needs of the guests, I'm a firm believer of that and listening to the guests, see where they see where they want to meet you as far as the transaction goes, you know, from the ordering process down to the payment process. So you and I are about to take a step over the ledge a little bit here because I I think you're a visionary enough to to talk about this. Have you seen any requests and inquiries about acceptance of cryptocurrencies from guests? Um, I have seen that in the industry. I've seen people writing about this in the industry. I've been approached by restaurant brands who are interested in this, some of them entirely based on this concept. I'm less hearing it from the guest side of things, although I'm sure that that exists because... I don't think these operators would be thinking about this. They have enough things to think about that they are hearing from guests if they weren't hearing about it from guests. So I think that is of interest, and it's something that as we move into a world of payment processing with the launch in February of this year uh, of Olo Pay, it's certainly something that we're thinking about. Under the heading of cryptocurrency is another form of payment that guests are going to be interested in, that operators are going to be interested in, that meets that sort of service model flexibility, payment flexibility, as do mobile wallets. And we shouldn't be in the business of saying no. And another thing that we're thinking about, which is maybe less sexy than cryptocurrency, is things like EBT. People should be able to pay for a digital order, whether they have a credit card or whether they're using EBT. That's a critically important thing to provide that experience to everybody. And I would say, you know, that also falls under the heading of alternative forms of payment that aren't your typical e-commerce equals credit card form of payment. Continuing on the trek of futuristic options, um, last week on the show, I had Flytrex, uh, which is the uh, drone delivery company. Do you see that as being part of a realistic piece of the delivery option choices for online ordering platforms of the future? I do. I actually wrote a piece back in 2015, right when we were launching the Olo Dispatch platform, enabling a network of delivery as a service, delivery service providers. Um, And it was sort of postulating a future where it didn't have to be human drivers. It could be kind of uh, air drones, could be ground drones, um, but the idea was, you know, you will have delivery as a service and you will have maybe one of three different models or a combination. And I think I was inspired at the time by reading about the Tesla um, summon feature, which is the ability to sort of press a button through the, the Tesla app and have the car drive to you. And I was thinking, summon is cool. Imagine if you could also do fetch and you could send out your own drone or send out your own uh, self-driving vehicle to go and collect an order for you and bring it back. So I was thinking about these three models as a model where that delivery as a service in drone form exists as something owned by the guest as model number one. Model number two, that fleet of drones is owned by the operator. And model number three was... It's owned by some third-party drone management, sort of fleet management company, like an Uber, like a Lyft, like a Flytrex, like a DoorDash, whomever it is. 
Um, and I think that to some extent, all of those things will exist, but it'll be mixed in with human drivers who are providing that delivery as a service. And it'll come down to you know, what these things always do. It'll come down to consistency, quality, uh, cost of, of going point to point with these deliveries. But it's absolutely going to be a part of the future. And I, I don't have a timeline for that, but I think with Flytrex and others, we're starting to see early uh, use cases and, and implementations. And of course, there's a whole uh, government policy perspective on all of this. But uh, that is absolutely going to be a part of the future and, and where this industry gets its capacity to literally meet the guests where they are in the form of delivery. I'm glad we're on the same page on the, as that because I've had too many people tell me, you're crazy, Skip. I've been preaching drone delivery for years. Um, I'm not thinking of today. I'm, I'm not thinking of yesterday. I'm thinking three, three years, five years down the road. What does the landscape look like and how can you be part of that? So I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one thinking that that way. Uh, I'm starting to hear a lot of chatter out there amongst operators that they believe that they're seeing an uptick in pickup orders versus delivery. And they're saying that pickup is the new delivery. Um, They're still going through an online portal, just another method for the guests to be able to get their food if they don't want to pay the delivery fees, for instance. Are you seeing from your platform and the stats and the data on your side an an uptick in the pickup orders as well? I think this is another thing that has been fascinating for me as I've been telling the Olo story to... um, kind of the, the non-restaurant investment community. It's been a big part of my last year and a half is you know, going through the IPO roadshow ahead of our March 2021 IPO, meeting with a lot of investors who are not domain experts in restaurants and trying to explain to them just how big takeout is as a percentage of orders and saying, look, takeout, not delivery, takeout is the plurality of orders in the restaurant industry and that is not just, you know, a byproduct of the COVID-19 era. That was true heading into COVID-19. Takeout is larger than dine-in by, by number of orders. It's larger than drive-through. And delivery is the smallest. And delivery, even in the heights of COVID-19, was under 10%. It was, I think, 9% at its highest of total order volume. So I think, you know, takeout is very resonant. It is increasingly resonant. I think as part of what we're currently experiencing in this market, we're seeing the beginnings of that trade down of, yes, guests still want to eat food prepared by restaurants. They're not magically learning how to cook. Restaurants are really strong, I think stronger than ever, actually, in terms of their share of the food dollar. And that's a good reflection of that versus grocery. People are not cooking. They're outsourcing meal prep to restaurants. But in recessions and being a company at 17 years old, we've lived through 2008 and 2009. We know what that looks like. In recessions, these guests trade down from high-ticket restaurants to lower-ticket restaurants, from full-service to limited-service. I think as part of that trade-down, they're trading down the total amount that they're spending for that dining experience. And so I would imagine as a result of that, you do see more takeout, less dine-in, less delivery. But I think takeout and drive-through as service models become the beneficiaries, both because they align with typically a lower 
average ticket segment of the industry, limited service. They don't have tips associated with them necessarily, maybe more unusual than delivery or dine-in do. Um, and there aren't additional fees, higher menu prices, service fees, et cetera, the, the, the fee of paying for the delivery courier to do the delivery. So I think you will see drive-through on the rise and takeout on the rise as a percentage of overall transactions as a result of this current environment. I'm not ready to call it a recession. I don't think anybody has said that uh, yet. But some of the elements of a recession, right, people thinking, I have less walking around money to spend. Now, food is not discretionary. You have to eat. We have to eat. This is a big differentiator of this industry versus retail. And I think that's really important to note. However, people will spend less on these dining occasions, and they can do that in the form of choosing drive through and choosing takeout. Noah, you've been in the news quite a bit lately. seems like every week I see you in the news for bringing on a new partner and or a new acquisition you've made. Let's talk a little bit about some of the recent acquisitions. Um, let's talk about Wisely for a second. What value did this in particular add to your organization and your customers? So Wisely was an Olo partner as part of our partner network. We, we are very proud to be an open platform and to now have an ecosystem of over 300 restaurant technology partners integrated into Olo or that Olo has integrated into. Um, that is a, a great component of what we've built over, over this last 17 years. Wisely was a partner for five years. And so we had a lot of common restaurant customers that were using Olo for digital ordering and delivery and that were using Wisely as their guest data platform and for marketing automation and for surveys and maybe also for table management if they took reservations and wait lists. Um, and we just saw that this was a moment in time when what Wisely offered as a guest data platform was something that had tremendous product market fit. We could see that it was adding a huge amount of value to our joint customers, that they were performing at another level than those that were just using the Olo platform without having Wisely attached. And we felt like this whole dichotomy of you know, indirect channel orders versus building up one's own direct channel and having the right tools to do that, to capture that guest information and to use it to personalize the experience for guests, to understand those high lifetime value guests that you could see, you know, the top 20% typically representing 60% of overall sales to be able to really capture all of that data to understand every guest down to their guest lifetime value number was a really, really powerful set of capabilities. And so we felt like this just makes all the sense in the world to come together as one company, remaining an open platform for all the other uh, customer data platforms, marketing automation suites that are out there, because that's very important to us to always enable flexibility and choice for our restaurant customers. But to say, we believe that this is the industry's foremost guest data platform. We believe in it so much that we want to have it represented under the Olo banner. And, you know, we've been thrilled at the reception from our restaurant customers saying, we agree this is critically important as a set of capabilities to really build up our direct-to-consumer channel. 
And we believe that this is the best suite that's out there to enable us to do it, especially in combination with Olo and with the, the power of the Olo platform and the reliability and security of the Olo platform behind it. There was an announcement that really grabbed my attention in regards to an acquisition. Omnivore, um, you know, I've, I've been a huge Omnivore fan for years. Now, when this announcement came out, I had quite a few people reach out to me, both from the operator perspective as well as the vendor side after that announcement. And they were trying to understand what this really meant for them and how it was going to affect them. Of course, I had no idea. I just heard the announcement myself. And I completely understand why you purchased that company. But can you shed some light on the reason for the acquisition and what your go forward plans are for it? Absolutely. Well, I was very excited about this acquisition, and I think it was, in a way, a harder one to explain. So you were not alone, and these folks who reached out to you to ask your thoughts about it were, were also not alone. Um, I think the reason it was harder to understand is that Omnivore was not, like Wisely was, an existing Olo partner. In fact, you know, Omnivore was very much not an Olo partner and had a distinct number of technology vendors who were integrated into it, maybe uh, as an alternative to integrating into Olo. And as part of the ambition of having this large open platform and being the, the largest SaaS platform for the enterprise restaurant segment, you know, we thought this is an opportunity for us to expand what was then 200 plus partners to over 300 partners integrated into the combined Olo and Omnivore. It enabled us to touch technology partners that Olo itself didn't touch. So we have traditionally been very focused on the, the ordering kind of uh, line from the origination of the order into the point of sale and the KDS. We have not touched things historically like labor and scheduling or like inventory and purchasing systems, but Omnivore did. And we thought that was really important for us to kind of round out the number of capabilities and the number of partners that we could represent to a restaurant to add value to their existing point of sale platform. We also directly had an interest as we saw digital shifting from being really off-premise oriented to increasingly on-premise oriented we had an interest of speeding our efforts to enable that sort of on-premise table service QR code based ordering. And one of the things that really stood out to us about Omnivore and the way that they do point of sale integrations, distinct from how Olo had historically, was that they enabled this open check functionality and a two-way integration with the point of sale. And that enables the guest to order several different courses in the same meal without having to create a separate tab for each. It also enables what I was describing earlier of that service model choice of maybe the server takes the first part of your order, then you add on to it. Maybe you then pay and, and walk out, but it's all on that same open check for that table. Maybe it's a group order of different guests at the same party adding on to that order and paying separately, et cetera. But that open check functionality was something that we thought was really compelling as we saw this pull from our restaurant customers into the on-premise environment. 
In addition to the uh, Omnivore product itself, I mean, obviously there was a lot of talent on that Omnivore team. Uh, was that part of your inspiration to for the acquisition? Absolutely. I mean, as we were looking across the aisle at other teams of engineers who knew about point-of-sale integration with legacy point-of-sale, the kinds of point-of-sale platforms that the enterprise segment that we serve uses, um, we looked at Omnivore with great respect and that team with great respect and those individual engineers with great respect and thought it would be an incredible thing to bring together with our, our already world-class engineering team, this other world-class engineering team, and to have those two sets of high-talent engineers on one POS integration team. And we've been delighted by that in bringing all of these talented engineers into the fold of, of Olo and having what we believe to be the most talented team of legacy point-of-sale uh, engineers all working together as one. Now, another big piece of Omnivore that operators use is MMS or their menu management system. What is Olo's plans for that? Is, the, is there plans to disrupt it or allow it to continue as is? What, did, what does that look like for operators? So we haven't announced anything publicly about MMS specifically. I would say that whenever you do an integration between two companies that are in similar spaces, there is overlap between the two. And so what you try to do if you're doing it right is to bring together the, the best of breed components from both systems and put them together. And I think we had overlap specifically between the Omnivore MMS and Olo Rails, which is a product that's been in market since 2017, really enabling brands to syndicate out their menu content primarily to third-party restaurant delivery marketplaces. So there are, there are great things about Rails. There are great things about MMS. Now as one team, we have the opportunity to bring those two things together and have, have the best of both approach in what we offer up to restaurant customers and to partners. Now, through all of these acquisitions and strategic partnerships, you are really creating an eco-culture of digital hospitality. So I've been describing Olo and our ambition to our team recently as the engine of hospitality. And what digital hospitality means to me is of capturing all of these touch points that we have with guests, all of these disparate silos of data into the guest data platform that is you know, formerly the Wisely platform and now the Olo guest data platform so that we can understand who that guest is and so that ultimately we can help restaurants to make every guest feel like a regular. That is kind of the, the narrative that I like to share with the team. Imagine that you could walk into a restaurant. It's the server's first week on the job, but they are armed with all of this data over the past decade about what you like and what you don't like and where you like to sit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can treat you like a regular, even though they're brand new, because the platform is empowering them with that data. Um, that is what we think about when we think about enabling hospitality at scale. And it really, as a, a set of, of thoughts, or, originated with 
something that Danny Meyer said to me when he, in 2014, stepped off of the open table board and got involved with Olo as an investor and a board member. And he said, I think Olo's big opportunity is not just about ordering. It's really about enabling hospitality at fast food speed and scale. All of the data that you're collecting through ordering reminds me of all of the data that OpenTable was collecting through reservations. But it's not just this tactical thing of providing providing the utility of ordering. You have the ability to do more with that and to arm the restaurants at this speed and at this scale with the data that can help them to provide hospitality. Um, That was inspirational. It was a gauntlet that Danny laid down in 2014. And I feel like finally in November of 2021, when we did the Wisely acquisition, we we had a great answer for how we were going to enable that future. And I think when you, when you put together Olo and what we've built natively with Wisely and Omnivore and the things that we're doing with Olo Pay, that really all crystallizes around this idea of being the engine of hospitality, of always connecting the dots of the data that we have about guests and doing so in service of enabling the restaurant to treat every guest like a regular. Okay, let's switch over to something a little more personal about Noah Glass. Uh, You sit on the board of directors for a nonprofit called Share Our Strength. Can you tell the audience about what that nonprofit is? Yes, Share Our Strength is the parent organization to No Kid Hungry, which I'm sure is a a cause that many listeners are familiar with. Um, No Kid Hungry is really uh, a campaign that originated out of Share Our Strength to end childhood hunger in America. Uh, As shocking as this is in such a wealthy country, one in six children are not getting enough food, and Share Our Strength through its No Kid Hungry campaign, has an incredibly scalable, high-leverage model to close that gap. And I have been involved on the board there. Actually, it ties to Danny Meyer, who pulled me onto that board back in, I think, late 2016, early 2017. So I've been involved for for nearly five years now. Um, I've been so proud to take some of my insights from Olo and my time running Olo uh, and apply them to how do you scale up some of these initiatives that we're working on as part of No Kid Hungry and close that gap even faster or even more broadly in more places. Um, I, I am so inspired every day by the work that Billy Shore and team are doing at No Kid Hungry uh, it's just critically important work, and it, it, it should not be the case that we have so many hungry kids in such a wealthy country. I know. I heard some of those statistics. When I was working at um, for our restaurant group, the owner of that company, John Rivers, he, he was a big advocate of uh, helping solve for that problem. So he would spit out statistics that just blew us away. It's, it's unbelievable how many people are hungry out there. Now, you also sit on the Board of Trustees for the Culinary Institute of America. Do you have a culinary background? I wish. I am a, <laughs> a, a self-taught um, but probably pretty amateur cook, even still. Um, 
I descend from a great cook. My mom is a, a cookbook author, a, a two-time uh, cookbook author. Um, and so I grew up with great food and great culinary talent in my midst. Um, I, I wish I'd spent more time learning culinary technique and less time uh, scarfing down delicious food growing up. But um, <laughs> I, I have really bonded with uh, my mom over uh, cooking. And uh, now, you know, later in life, my dad is really getting into cooking. And that's been really fun to go on that journey with him and um, and start to have learned some of these rudimentary skills. But I am absolutely in awe of uh, the talent of the, the graduates of the, the Culinary Institute of America. It is the absolute best of the best out there. Um, and I always love when I get to walk into a restaurant and somehow in my research hear that there's somebody in the restaurant who maybe it's the, the head chef, maybe it's a sous chef, was involved in, and was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, it always brings a smile to my face that there's an organization that is this beacon of, of culinary talent out there um, and, and doing great work in, uh, in, in making you know, every year the next great class of American chefs. That's interesting about your mother and, and being a cookbook author. That uh, that's certainly a piece that did, did not hit the uh, wiki, wiki page out there. And Noah Eglass is probably taking credit for that one. I'm just saying. It's probably true. Uh, so to wrap things up, where do you see the future of online ordering headed? You know, what's the next big thing that will evolve from this space? So the next big thing, from my perspective, ties back to this idea of. Um, every guest feeling like a regular. And it's something that we're bringing to life later this year in the form of um, OloPay, and it's called borderless OloPay. And what borderless OloPay means is that when a guest checks out at brand A and then goes and checks out at brand B, they don't have to create two separate accounts they can have a single account that is linked to their email address, linked to their mobile device, linked to their form of payment that they choose to use. And that carries with it all of these important pieces of data about that guest that they choose to share. So it could be delivery addresses. It could be car make, model, and color for curbside pickup. It could be likes and dislikes of food. But the idea that the guests can explicitly say, Here's what I want to be known about me to shape my digital ordering experience and have in the form of OloPay a one-click checkout experience across the entire Olo restaurant network. Um, that is what we're bringing to life. That is now 82,000 restaurants on one side. If you look at 2021 numbers, 85 million guests that ordered through the Olo platform in 2021 and putting those two together in the form of borderless OloPay really means creating the largest two-sided network that we ever have. But something that, again, back to the beginning, benefits the guest, benefits the operator, and enables that kind of hospitality with the guest being known and feeling like they're known, feeling like a regular across the entire Olo restaurant network. I couldn't be more excited about that. Um, and it's something that, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're launching later this year, um, but we got to talk about for the very first time in February as we announced 
that Olapay was going into general availability. We said, and we're working on this really cool feature, much like Shopify has done with ShopPay, and it's called Borderless, and here's what that will look like. And we had a great demo video of, of a, a future vision for Borderless Olapay. I think that's going to become um, a must-have for digital ordering for the guest experience, and uh, absolutely thrilled to bring that to life later in 2022. Well, that plays into the personalization aspect. I've been talking a lot about that lately with individuals. You know, the personalization side of it, which can only be achieved through data collection and possibly releasing a little bit of uh, privacy. Once again, it comes down to how much the guest wants to share with you. But when you can take the guest experience to that next level without being creepy, um, it's actually a pretty amazing experience for that guest. Noah, as always, it is great to talk to you and get your mindset on where the industry is headed. You always seem to be a couple of steps ahead of everybody else. So you are definitely one of the people I watch to get a barometer of the current and future states. And I know you've had some delays in your flights this morning, but I am so glad that you're still able to hop on the show with me today. And thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us in the audience and provide us with all the insight that you have. Now, go out there and get back to running your company. Skip, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it was great to uh, connect as always. What an interesting and dynamic individual. I know many of you have heard him speak and can attest to his aptitude and level of innovation in this space of the industry. Most importantly, we cleared up some of the misnomers about him that are floating around on the internet. Actually, now I want to get Noah Eglass on the show. He sounds just as fascinating. If you would like to reach out to me or the show, you can do so via everything social at Skip Kimple or everything at Constrata. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. You can also go to the website at skipkimple.com for all the archived shows, including the show notes. And you can also hear these new episodes on the Constrata website at constrata.io. And if you want to send me an email, please do so at skip.kimple at constrata.io. Well, I'm currently in Orlando for high tech this week, and I'm hoping to grab some interviews from there. I'm also working on a very interesting episode I just don't know if I can make it happen in time for next week. Let's just say it revolves around NFTs and how it can impact the casual operator. You don't need to be a big fish to play in this market space. So until next Tuesday, everybody say it with me. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. 